This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. It's Thursday, January 13th, 2022. Good morning and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning on the Memorial of St. Hilary, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. Great to be with you once again, our Relevant Radio family, coast to coast from Maui to Maine on the Relevant Radio Network and the Relevant Radio app. On Thursdays, we always remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament. Visit our Lord sometime today if you get a chance. I want to check in with my colleague and partner, Glenn Leverance. Glenn, what's the big story this morning? Well, it seems that uh, what is most on top of mind, uh, even more than COVID for folks in uh, in many surveys, actually, is the rate of inflation. John, historic levels here, the uh, rate of inflation, the highest it's been in 40 years since June of 1982, since, since Reagan was in office. Inflation currently at a 7% year-over-year rate for all things in general. And that means, you know, what you could buy for a uh, dollar last year cost you a dollar seven now. It's like you're only making 93% of what you made last year. Absolutely. And I know that uh, people are feeling it uh, in, in real terms on the ground across our country. Uh, all you got to do is go to the gas pump, but gas is up uh, 49%. Uh, you go to the grocery stores, uh, meat and poultry is up uh, 12.5%. Uh, people are really feeling it. And uh, I so much agree with you. I think that this may be a, a bigger issue right now that even uh, COVID, especially as we head into the midterm elections later this year year. Absolutely going to be in play uh, in terms of midterm elections this year. So another challenge, another big, big challenge for the Biden administration. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it uh, and um, much more a little bit later on. Thanks, Glenn. Hey, sounds good, John. We begin every show and every hour giving thanks to our Lord for the many blessings, always to the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning here on the show when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we do every day, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. 
The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that the spiritual life is a lot like an athletic competition. Using the language of sports, athletes fight and prepare to win a crown like the Georgia Bulldogs, the recent college football national champions. But as spiritual athletes for Christ, our goal is the crown of eternal life, an incorruptible crown with our Lord Jesus Christ, our Blessed Mother Mary, St. Joseph, and all the angels and saints in heaven for all eternity. I want to encourage you to run the race of life and run to win with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. A number, if you want to be part of the program, is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Of course, you can always email us at morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, I want to talk uh, a little bit uh, about uh, the month of January here. In this month, there's different marches for life being celebrated all across our nation. We just had the March for Life Chicago this past weekend uh, here in the Windy City. Uh, There's the One Life LA in Los Angeles coming up. Uh, The annual National March for Life in Washington, D.C., which will be celebrated next week on January 21st, followed the following day uh, by the West Coast Walk for Life in San Francisco. Now, why are these pro-life events so important for us? Well, it all comes down to the the value of life and the dignity of every human person. Joining us now for much more perspective on the issue of life is Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Great to be with you for the very first time here in the new year. Good morning to you, John, and Happy New Year. It's always a joy to be with you and all of our relevant radio listeners. Well, Monsignor, this is a a great issue, obviously so relevant here in this month of January, the month that we uh, remember uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, Being uh, alive uh, is is such a miracle. Every day is a gift. The the gift of life that God gives us is our biggest treasure. How can we make sure that we treat our life as the most precious treasure that we have? Well, so Catholic social teaching has all of these different principles and themes, things that the Catholic Church teaches about the human person and about what it means to live together in society and what it means to belong to each other and how to achieve peace in our lives and among each other, etc., etc. And the very first theme, the very first principle of Catholic social teaching is the life and dignity of the human person. And so as Catholics, we defend life, we treasure life, and we fight for life from conception to natural death. And we know that the sanctity of human life is the basis for everything else that we're able to enjoy in God's grace as members of the human race and as people who really do belong to each other. And so that's why these commemorations of human life are so important during the month of January here in our country. We find ourselves in a pivotal moment in the fight for life. Of course, the Supreme Court heard the Dobbs case in early December. We're waiting for that decision. We know uh, that we're fighting not just to make abortion illegal, but to make it unthinkable. And so uh, this coming week is an important week. You, you mentioned that there are marches for life that are happening and events in commemoration of Roe versus Wade that are happening all over the country. And of course, uh, they're happening here on our doorstep in North Dakota, too. We have an entire week at the University of Mary, which is dedicated 
to the life and dignity of the human person. And that does culminate next Friday, so a week from this coming Friday, in the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. And the University of Murray will be sending five full buses of students down to March for Life and to Stand for Life and to witness for the unborn who cannot speak for themselves and to defend their rights. Those students on our main campus who aren't able to travel uh, to Washington, D.C., will be gathering at the North Dakota State Capitol for the North Dakota March for Life, which happens at the same time as the National March for Life. And every year when I go down for the National March for Life, I'm so proud of our students and so filled with hope. And it's important, John, for me to witness to all of our listeners that sometimes if we feel discouraged about this cause, sometimes if we feel like the road is too long and the, the, um, the tide is against us and life might never win, uh, it's important for me to be able to say that every year that I go to the March for Life, it feels like it gets younger and more prayerful and more powerful. And it's a reminder that this isn't primarily a political movement. This isn't primarily a political cause. It's a spiritual cause. In other words, we're fighting against principalities and powers, and the weapons are the weapons of the kingdom of God, primarily the weapon of prayer. And so we go down peacefully, prayerfully. We witness for life. It's a very beautiful thing, and it's young, and it's vibrant, and it's winning. It's young. That's the one thing that really stands out. Uh, anybody that's had a chance to go to, to any of these marches across our country, especially the National March for Life in Washington, D.C., can see that the vast majority of the people on hand, the hundreds of thousands that typically go, are young people. They are the pro-life generation. It's so uplifting uh, to see all these young people all together, all with that same goal of making abortion unthinkable. That's right. And and they're high-hearted, and, they, and they're in it with good principles. Here at the University of Mary, we're constantly working to make sure that our students aren't simply, as I said before, attaching themselves to a political cause, but that they're thinking deeply, theologically and philosophically about the importance of treasuring life from conception to natural death. And so we have a series of all kinds of events that are coming up next week uh, to commemorate the life and dignity of the human person. For instance, this coming Monday, which is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Bishop Joseph Perry, who's an auxiliary bishop of Chicago, will be here talking about servant of God Augustin, Augustus Tolton, who was a runaway slave and a Catholic priest, and whose cause is up for canonization. And so that's a wonderful reminder, too, of the dignity of human, person, of human persons, regardless of one's racial identity. In addition to that, on Wednesday, we'll have a community learning day in which we'll focus upon the rights of the disabled, who oftentimes feel marginalized in our society. And J.D. Flynn from Pillar Catholic is going to be here on campus talking about the importance of the church treasuring those who are disabled. And so we're, we're thinking, praying, and talking about the rights of the unborn, but also all of the whole gamut of the life and dignity of the human person. It's really important to us to instill in our students a deep grounding in the sacredness of human life at every stage. 
Monsignor Shea, the University of Mary is so blessed. Uh, those young people, those your students are, are so blessed uh, to be able to spend a whole week really focusing on, on the value of life and, and the dignity uh, of life. Uh, can you talk about why it's so important at that age, at college age, and even younger, to, to be able to really spend some time going a little bit deeper to really understand what this really means? Yeah, so, you know, we get caught up in the, in the course of our lives, and we can forget how important it is for us. You said at the beginning, John, and I was really moved when you said it and was glad for our radio audience when you said it. You said it's such a miracle to be alive. To just pause for a moment and to consider that God chose that you should exist, that I should exist, that each of us should be. That gift of life is an irreplaceable gift, and it's a gift that's meant to be received with gratitude, and then meant to be given away. And that's one of the great horrors and tragedies of something like abortion, that it cuts off the will of God that a human being should be, should exist, should flourish. And so each of us needs to treasure our own lives. I think when we get older and we get caught up in the sort of rigmarole of life, it's easy for us to be bent down by the burdens of life and to forget how important it is to, to, give, to, to give thanks every day, to be filled and even overwhelmed with gratitude for the goodness of God and bringing us into existence, even if human life holds suffering and challenge. I say this to our students all the time. Life is hard, but it's good. Life is hard, but it's good. And God's grace is able to make human life, even though it's touched with sorrow, it's, even though we're in a valley of tears, as our faith teaches us, it's able to make human life filled with meaning and purpose. When you ask about young people, young people are, are at a stage of life when their hearts and minds are open and ready to begin to understand these truths for the first time. And when, when you're in college, you have a little bit of the leisure to be able to consider that and to think about it and to begin to form habits of mind and habits of heart so that you can live that way for the rest of your life. And we feel like that's our responsibility, that when, when we encounter the young people who are entrusted to us, we feel like we've got this moment in time in which we can help to inculcate and infuse in their hearts and minds a sense of overwhelming gratitude for their own lives and a sense of justice and an ability to fight for the needs and the rights of all of those who have their life and dignity threatened. And that's a habit which if we form it at a young age, if a 19 or 20 year old begins to think and live like that, you've got them for the rest of their lives. It'll help them to live wonderful, meaningful, purposeful, impactful lives, but it'll also make a difference in the church and in the world because of their contribution and the way that they'll fight for what's right. We're joined this morning by Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary. We're talking about uh, life and the dignity of the human person. Monsignor, something you said really, really hit home. Uh, every single one of us, every life has a purpose, has a special mission, has special meaning. Just think of the 63-plus million abortions that have happened since Roe v. Wade uh, in the last 49 years. Think of all the the 
presidents, the judges, the moms, the dads, uh, the the athletes uh, that never got a chance to make it because uh, of uh, of abortion. And so, uh, it's so important that we that we really meditate on, on this truth uh, of the dignity of every single human person who has a a unique purpose and mission in life. That's really important. And 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 what you said, John, does incite us as we approach the anniversary of Roe versus Wade not simply to be caught up, as I've said before, in a, a furor of, uh, of, of political excitement or uh, to be uh, deceived into thinking that everything can be solved just by laws uh, being changed in the right way. That's a great step in the right direction. But this is about changing hearts, too, changing hearts and minds, about winning over the culture to a culture of life, which is what Pope St. John Paul II posed against what he called the culture of death. And so that's really important for us. And as we remember these 63 million lives that have been lost in, in, in our country, and remember that with each one of those lives lost, there are broken hearts of mothers and fathers and others uh, who are involved as well. This is a cause for great national mourning. Our hearts should be filled with a profound compunction and sorrow. And then we ourselves as believers should repent for the sins against human life and dignity. And in repenting, we should repent as well for our own ingratitude for the gift of life, such that God can work through us as instruments of his grace for the renewal of the world and the building of a true culture of life, a civilization of love. Monsignor Shea, uh, we have listeners uh, tuning in uh, across our country, uh, coast to coast. Uh, there are marches going on all across our, our nation. Uh, obviously, uh, the big one next uh, Friday uh, in Washington, D.C. How can uh, Catholics and other Christians, people of life, uh, show our support uh, for the importance of this movement and the dignity of life? Well, right. So it's important. It's, it's, it's maybe more important this year than ever before that we make a strong public witness. That means that those who aren't able to go to Washington, D.C. should look around to see if, that there, if there's a local event within driving distance that they and their family can go to to bear witness to life. In whether or not one is able to make a public witness at one of these large events marches for life, walks for life, events for life, whether or not one's able to be present, and I encourage that very deeply, it's important to pray and to fast for an end to abortion. As I said before, this is fundamentally, or at its basis, a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual matter. And so that means that prayer and fasting will be tremendously, tremendously effective. And if you don't know specifically what to pray and fast for, remember the students at the University of Mary or students at college campuses all across the country who are sacrificing and going to march for and to witness to life. They themselves, in their young lives, need intercessors, people to support them and sponsor them with prayer and fasting as they themselves go, as they stand on the doorstep of their lives fighting for the lives of others, especially the unborn, who they cannot see. No question it's a spiritual battle. And Monsignor Shea, um, we talk about, uh, as pro-lifers, uh, 
protecting life from conception until natural death. Uh, but there's many different ways that we can look at it. Uh, we usually talk about uh, babies and abortion, but we can also talk about uh, older people and euthanasia uh, and the, how about the young people that are being killed on the streets uh, every single uh, weekend uh, in our major cities in our country. Uh, that, that culture of death is absolutely out there, and we need to combat it with the culture of life. Right. Mother Teresa used to remind us of this all the time. She would say that it's poverty to decide that a child must die so that you can live as you wish. And the, the violence of abortion is only the tip of the iceberg, because when we allow that to happen, then violence breaks out and, and, and grips the, the whole of a society. And so it's right for us not simply to think about the life and dignity of the human person in terms of the issue of abortion, but to see that as a kind of gateway to all kinds of violence and disregard for human life at every stage. And so it's important for us to remember that the task is large, but God is bigger. <laughs> and we dial into and tap in with prayer and fasting, we're able to have access to his providential grace, to his great love, to his overpowering strength in the midst of these assaults upon human life. And God's grace working in us, then, is the powerful instrument for the bringing about of respect for the life and dignity of the human person at every stage into our society. Final uh, thought, uh, Monsignor, uh, as we... uh take a look at the importance of, of the upcoming uh, events, uh, the March for Life uh, that are coming up, and especially uh, your big uh, week there at the University of Mary. Yeah, well, we, we talk as Catholics all the time about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Every time we pray the rosary, we have a Hail Mary for each of those theological virtues. The great virtue of this coming week is the virtue of hope. In other words, it's important for us never to despair, even though the powers of darkness, even though the culture of death sometimes seems so strong, it's important for us to hold on with all our hearts and with all our might to hope that in the end we know how this ends. God triumphs. In the end, we know how this ends. Life wins. In the meantime, our work is to be faithful, to be joyful, to mourn the violence against human life, and to fight with joy and with great hope for the preservation of human life. That's what we teach our students here at the University of Mary, but it's a lesson for me and for you and for all of our listeners as well. Well, Monsignor Shea, uh, as always, thank you so much uh, for being with us this morning. I always uh, love to hear your perspective uh, uh, and your eloquence, especially when it comes to to this issue that you're so passionate about, uh, the issue of life. Thanks so much. A joy to be with you. God bless you, John. God bless you, too. Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and, of course, a regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, attorney Rachel Morrison, fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., will join us to discuss the pending Supreme Court case on the vaccine mandate. Stay with us. There's much more to come straight ahead as Morning Air continues after this timeout. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. 
From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Great to be with you this Thursday morning. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, last Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in two cases on an emergency basis. Both cases involved lawsuits stemming from the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandates for employers and federally funded health providers. We are awaiting a ruling at any moment right now, perhaps even later today. Now, the justices seem split along ideological lines. The conservative Supreme Court justices appeared skeptical on the vaccine requirements that affect nearly 84 million workers. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor came under tremendous criticism after she falsely suggested that upwards of 100,000 children in the U.S. are hospitalized from COVID-19 and many of them on ventilators. Counsel, those numbers show that Omicron um, is as deadly uh, and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. The numbers look at the hospitalization rates that are going on. We have more affected people in the country today than we had a year ago in January. Um, We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. With all due respect to Justice Sotomayor, those numbers for children are way, way off. They're not even close. According to CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky on Fox News Sunday, there are fewer than 3,500 children in hospitals with COVID-19. Joining us now for more perspective from Washington, D.C. on this Supreme Court vaccine mandates cases is attorney Rachel Morrison, a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, where she works on the Institute's HHS Accountability Project. Rachel's legal and policy work focuses on religious liberty, health care, rights of conscience, the right to life, non-discrimination, and civil rights. Good morning, Counselor Rachel. Welcome to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Great to be with you. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Can you uh, give us an overview uh, of these two uh, vaccine mandate cases that the Supreme Court is uh, ruling on right now? In fact, we may hear something uh, later today. That's correct. As you said, there are two cases. The first one is affects the employment of um, individuals who work um, at employers that have 100 or more employees. This mandate was issued through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is a federal agency that deals with workplace safety, so seeing card hats, railings, various regulations at construction sites. That, that's what uh, OSHA, the uh, administration, usually deals with. And so they issued a vaccine mandate that said all employers that have 100 or more employees have to either mandate vaccines for all of their employees Uh, with a few minor exceptions, which I'll mention in a minute, or they have to require 
weekly testing and masking of all unvaccinated employees. So the few exceptions are if you work exclusively outside or exclusively remotely. Um, this isn't if you work primarily outside or primarily remotely, but if you like never go inside or interact with people, there's the exception. There's also exceptions from the vaccine mandate if you are um, if you have a medical exemption or a religious exemption, but you're still subject to the testing and masking requirement. And at the oral argument, they mentioned some about how it, it wasn't a vaccine mandate because there's this testing or masking option, but it could be a vaccine mandate because the employer gets to choose whether to issue the vaccine mandate or to go through this testing and masking alternative. And because the testing and masking is more difficult to to implement it requires weekly uh, verifications of the test tests might be hard to get the employees would have to buy the test you could see how a number of employees would just think it's easier to impose the vaccine mandate instead of allow this complicated alternative so that's the first case the second case is a vaccine mandate from the centers for medicare and medicaid services out of the department of Health and Human Services, and this affects healthcare workers who work at facilities and places that receive funds for Medicaid and Medicare, which is the vast majority of all healthcare healthcare organiz organizations. And so, this mandate requires that if you receive those funds, you have to require vaccination of your healthcare workers. There's no testing and masking alternative. There are the few narrow exceptions for medical exemptions or religious exemptions, but this affects almost all healthcare workers, uh, and this has become a problem for some healthcare um, facilities, especially more in rural areas, when they have a larger percentage of their staff who does not want to receive the vaccine, and if they lose their staff, they could lose the ability to actually provide healthcare services to the public. So those are the two cases that are before the court. Uh, Counselor uh, Rachel, uh, what were your impressions of the oral arguments uh, last Friday that went on for hours? Uh, it, it appeared uh, to many that the conservative Supreme Court justice, this, they appear, appeared to be uh, a, a little bit skeptical uh, about uh, what was going on and the arguments they were hearing. Uh, what was your take? You're right. The justices did seem skeptical. Um, this is because it's an unprecedented expansion of federal power to allow the federal government to mandate a medical intervention for millions of employees in the United States. And so the conservative justices seemed skeptical that this was this was the uh, um, this was uh, power that uh, one the federal government had and two that Congress had given to OSHA or to CMS. Um, they seemed more skeptical of the of the power given to OSHA, um, a little less skeptical that the CMS could have the power. Usually, when it comes to funding regulations, their string uh, the federal government can attach strings to those funding regulations. Um, and the question is not can they attach this string, but were they able to do it in the way that they did it? Um, and did the underlying statutes give them authority to change the strings that they attached, or or were people on notice that this is a string that could be attached? 
the liberal justices, uh, the three justices seem to focus primarily on the policy arguments, talking about the the impact of COVID uh, nationally and around the world and how vaccine mandates were were what they thought was the proper response to this and necessary. So don't expect any of the three liberal justices to vote um, against the mandates, but I think there's good cause, especially for the OSHA one, to think that the conservative justices will not uphold it, at least at this point. Well, we heard uh, from Justice Sonia Sotomayor here at the beginning uh, of the segment. Uh, a lot of people were just uh, blown away with what she was saying. She seemed like she was absolutely out of touch, did not know the facts. It was literally giving out uh, wrong information. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Justice Sotomayor's comments and some of the other things that we heard from some of the liberal justices? That was shocking. I could not believe that we had a justice from the United States Supreme Court viewing COVID misinformation. A, a simple Google search would have would have uh, confirmed that those numbers were not even close to correct. Um, I was also surprised that none of the justices seemed to mention that with Omicron, the vaccine efficacy is greatly dismin- diminished and that uh, there is a study that said that the Pfizer vaccine was only about at um, 30, 33%-ish uh, efficacy at stopping infection and transmission. And so now we're not just talking about unvaccinated individuals, which was the premise for the mandate, um, being able to contract COVID and spread it to other unvaccinated individuals. But we're talking about vaccinated individuals who also are able to contract COVID and uh, transmit it to to their co-workers and to others in the workplace as well. Absolutely. It's, uh, it was uh, just uh, concerning to hear uh, a Supreme Court justice that was absolutely just not informed as to what really is going on. I mean, she sounded like she was talking about, uh, you know, from a year and a half ago instead of what's going on right this moment. Uh, we're joined this morning by uh, attorney Rachel Morrison, uh, a, a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and we're talking about the pending Supreme Court ruling on the federal vaccine mandates. Uh, Counselor, uh, I'm so uh, 100% with you uh, as to your your perspective, I, I can't understand uh, how uh, a vaccine mandate uh, and an argument for a mandate can hold up in court um, when the government is making you take a vaccine that was designed for earlier versions of COVID, proven not effective against the current Omicron variant. And as you said, you know, only about 30 uh, percent efficiency. That means that 70 percent of the affections uh, are against the vaccinated. It just doesn't make sense uh, from a from a scientific perspective and even from a, a legal perspective in terms of uh, the constitutional authority for this mandate. Definitely. Uh, your your uh, your thoughts on on the importance of these two cases, uh, because obviously this could uh, affect our country. Uh, first of all, you know millions and millions uh, of people uh, of of employers uh, of healthcare workers, and also just uh, setting the stage uh, for years to come. These cases are extremely important because the Biden administration has 
has tried to mandate a medical intervention for millions of of American workers. Uh, this is an unprecedented expansion of federal power. Uh, and if it's allowed to stay, this power then could be used for other purposes. I'm sure we can all think of uh, of other things. If if the if OSHA can regulate a medical intervention for a virus that is worldwide um, on employees, what else can they mandate? What else can they require individuals to not only wear protective equipment at such as hard hats at a workplace, but also to like what what medical interventions or food or other things can they require the American worker worker to do? And so I think it's very important that uh, that the Supreme Court recognized the, the the implications of of this. It's not just about vaccines. It's about the power that the federal government has or doesn't have. And that 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 brings me to to th- these cases are basically about legally about who who decides the question. Is it the employee who gets to decide whether they're vaccinated? Is it an employer? Is it the uh, state governments or is it the federal government? And that's what that's what these cases are about. Does the federal government have the power to decide whether an individual has to be vaccinated in order to work? Counselor, uh, since uh, these vaccines are not uh, effective against the current version of uh, of the virus that with with Omicron, do you think that in some ways that uh, this whole uh, case is undermining the confidence in the judiciary and in the legislator and and uh, perhaps even in just in public health? Well, I think we have to wait for the decisions to come out before we can decide whether the the um, it, it undermines the public confidence. I think how the Supreme Court acts will say a lot about whether the public is confident in the Supreme Court to uh, restrict the ever-expanding power of the federal government and power that's not in the Constitution, or whether the Supreme Court is just going to rubber stamp what the Biden administration is trying to do. If you want to be part of the conversation, if you have a comment or question on the vaccine COVID mandates for Attorney Rachel Morrison, fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, we have open lines. You can give us a call, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short break. We continue our discussion with Rachel Morrison. Stay with us. There's much more to come on the other side. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us this morning as we continue our conversation with attorney Rachel Morrison, a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Welcome back, Counselor Rachel. Thank you, John. Uh, Rachel, let's uh, talk about what's going on right now. What is the status of of the mandates as we speak? So the OSHA mandate, which applies to workplaces with 100 or more employees, is currently in effect. Now, not all of the all of the regulations are going to be enforced, but it's currently in effect. 
when it comes to the health care mandate for for healthcare workers that receive funds from Medicaid and Medicare, uh, it is effect in about half the states, and it's uh, been enjoined or uh, prohi- uh, they've prohibited uh, HHS from enforcing this in in the other half of the states. Now, uh, this hearing last Friday was supposed to be on an emergency basis, and yet here we are uh, on Thursday still waiting to hear from the Supreme Court. Uh, is that concerning? Does that uh, say anything uh, in your opinion? Well, it's always hard to guess what's going on, but these cases are very complex. Uh, as you said, they're on an emergency basis, so it's a very expedited expedited process, but it still takes time to go through all of the all of the documents it takes time to write uh, an opinion I'm guessing that the Supreme Court wants to actually provide some reasoning for the decision they have and not just a sentence or two saying it's upheld or it's not upheld and so that's going to take a little bit of time to time to work through obviously the Supreme Court is aware that uh, that um, these cases are very important once you're required to be vaccinated or you might be fired. Um, if you choose to be vaccinated, that's irreversible. And so these cases, that's why they took these cases on an emergency basis. Um, and so we expect a ruling that there could be a ruling today, um, but we expect a ruling um, at least uh, in the very near future at a minimum. Uh, according to uh, a number of legal experts, uh, the Supreme Court uh, very likely is going to issue a, a split ruling on this Biden vaccine mandate. Uh, what's your take, Counselor? I assume you mean split ruling as in the the uh, not just the justices are split, but the the mandate, the result of the mandate is split. The uh, That seems to be the consensus that the uh, OSHA mandate is not likely to be upheld, but that there's more chance that the that the healthcare mandate might be upheld or parts of it might be upheld. There's there's more leeway the government has when they attach uh, strings to funding that they give, but there's also some good arguments that the individuals that receive the Medicaid and Medicare funds. Uh, one, they don't have an option not to take those funds, and two, they had no idea that they would have to require vaccination um, as a condition of receiving those funds in the first place. So, um, so that case is a closer question, but we'll just have to wait and find out uh, once the opinions come down. Uh, in your uh, in your perspective, uh, what do you think is the the, the most compelling uh, arguments uh, from from both sides that that you've heard so far uh, uh, for the court to decide one way or the other? Well, I think it goes back to that question of of who gets to decide. And one, does the Constitution give the federal government power power to mandate vaccination for American workers? Um, So that's the first question. The second question is, if the federal government has power to do so, did Congress give these two agencies power to uh, then to then require that? And so there's there's two hoops that uh, the Biden administration has to jump through in order in order to get there. Um, As I said, that there's there's um, a lot stronger arguments that the government can uh, attach strings to funding it has. Um, but it, there seems to be no, no um, 
compelling argument, at least in, in at least in my my opinion, that the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration has authority to mandate vaccines, and that the federal government, um, just in general under the Constitution, has power to mandate vaccines straight up. Another possible scenario, uh, what if the court uh, decides to strike down both mandates? Uh, Do you think this could open up uh, uh, a litigation can of worms in in other states? There is definitely going to be ongoing litigation over these issues. Uh, Employers are free in a lot of ways to impose their own vaccine mandates. So some employers have chosen to impose the vaccine mandates themselves. Um, without the dictate of the federal government. Other employers obviously are constrained by what the federal government's telling them. There's some states that have laws that say they can't impose vaccine mandates. And so there's definitely going to continue to be a lot of litigation on these issues. There's some states like New York that has a health care vaccine mandate, but they refuse to allow religious exemptions, which seems to be a clear violation of the First Amendment and the employees' rights under Title VII to religious accommodations. And so there's going to continue to be litigation over these vaccine mandates um, in a whole host of forms. Your gut feeling as to what we can expect, uh, in fact, if the Supreme Court comes out with a a decision, uh, perhaps even later today, as some are expecting? Well, I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court will definitely strike down the OSHA mandate, and I'm hopeful that the that they will also strike down the CMS mandate that uh, that requiring a medical intervention seems to be uh, seems to be clearly beyond the beyond the scope of um, a string that the federal government can attach to um, such vital funds that healthcare entities are not in a position to refuse to accept. Um, but as I said, that that's a much closer question, and we'll have to see how the court actually um, decides to parse the issue. I wanted to take a, a moment um, here in the last few minutes that we have uh, to talk a little bit about the, uh, the great work that, that's being done at, at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. If you could share with us a little bit about uh, your focus uh, working in religious liberty and uh, some of the important uh, pro-life work that you're also involved in. Definitely. So a lot of what we do is Uh, trying to keep HHS accountable for the actions it's doing to undermine conscience and religious freedom and to and to promote abortion. So there's been a lot of regulations that have been coming out of HHS. There's opportunities for public comment. So we we take those opportunities. We try to raise awareness of these regulations and encourage others to to comment on these regulations. Um, We try to provide a resource to congressional staffers and to other organizations that are interested in these issues um, to provide expertise on on the law and how it works and uh, where things can be done legally and where they violate the First Amendment, where they violate the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and other health care uh, rights of conscience statutes that protect healthcare workers from being forced to participate in abortions or sterilization or other procedures that violate their conscience. 
Where do you think uh, we are in our nation right now? Coming up on two years during this pandemic uh, in the court of public opinion uh, when it comes to uh, uh, not only the mandates that are being considered at the Supreme Court right now, but just so many mandates. It seems like there's mandates everywhere you look all across our country. While on the other hand, as we speak in Europe, they're actually uh, trying to begin to consider COVID much more like the flu. Uh, there's been some talk out of Spain uh, to start addressing it in a different way. Definitely. At some point, it's no longer an emergency. Um, uh, we don't have a clear answer. No one seems to be talking about uh, at what point, you know, like how much time has to pass before it's no longer an emergency and it's just the, the way the world is. Um, at what point does it move from a pandemic to being endemic? It seems much more towards the latter now with Omicron and um, the the vast number of positive cases, but um, thankfully overwhelmingly very mild cases. Um, unfortunately, some are still getting seriously sick from COVID, um, but there's a lot of things, uh, diseases and viruses that people get get sick from. And so um, I think I think people are ready to to move past COVID, um, but I'm not sure if uh, if we have the if we have the luxury to move past COVID before COVID's ready to to let us move past it itself. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate uh, your uh, legal perspective uh, on these two very important Supreme Court uh, cases that we may hear about even perhaps later today. Thanks so much, uh, Counselor Rachel. Thanks, John. Attorney Rachel Morrison, fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Uh, for more on defending America's ideals, you can visit eppc.org. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Sweeter Than Desserts. In the days when an ice cream sundae cost much less, a 10-year-old boy entered a hotel coffee shop and sat at a table. A waitress put a glass of water in front of him. How much is an ice cream sundae, he asked. 50 cents, replied the waitress. The little boy pulled his hand out of his pocket and studied a number of coins in it. How much is a dish of plain ice cream, he inquired. Some people were now waiting for a table while the waitress was a bit impatient. 35 cents, she said brusquely. The little boy again counted the coins. I'll have the plain ice cream, he said. The waitress brought the ice cream, put the bill on the table, and walked away. The boy finished the ice cream, paid the cashier, and departed. When the waitress came back, she began wiping down the table and swallowed hard what she saw. There, placed neatly beside the empty dish, 15 cents, her tip. Proverbs 11.25 Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Thanks so much, Glenn. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Dr. Paul Carson, professor of infectious diseases at North Dakota State University, will join us with the latest on COVID, the Omicron variant, and he'll also take your calls. Plus, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will be with us to discuss the baptism of the Lord and confession, a fresh start to our path to holiness. Don't change that dial. There's much more to come here on Morning Air next hour on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.